if you have your Bibles with you this morning, turn with me to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. We're looking at verses 26 through 38 this morning. Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38. If you don't have your Bible, you can grab one of the Pew Bibles there, and it's page 803 in the Pew Bible. 803 in the Pew Bible. If you don't have your own Bible, then uh, please take that Pew Bible, and that's our gift to you today. We want everybody to have a copy of God's Word, so please take that and, and use it. Well, it is the Christmas season, and uh, I know a lot of trees have been going up. You see it on Facebook, so a lot of y'all have been putting up trees and, and uh, showing us pictures of your, your tree, and we've got some beautiful trees out there. And, uh, you know, it won't be long now, and those trees will be surrounded with gifts. And I'm sure we can all think of some good gifts that we've gotten in the past, just during Christmas time. And and maybe some of you have some good gifts you're excited about giving this year. Maybe you've got a good gift in mind that you want to give to somebody. Of course, as we think about Christmas gifts and uh, the great gifts that we've gotten in the past, of course, Our greatest gift of all has been God's grace. God's grace is the greatest gift that has ever been given, and God's grace was given primarily through his son, Jesus Christ, and that's why we celebrate Christmas. That's why it's Christmas, Christmas, right? It's it's celebrating the birth of our Savior, Jesus Christ, God's grace incarnate. And so today we are considering the the birthplace pronouncement of Jesus Christ and we're, we're going to look at this this passage here and in this passage uh, we're going to see Mary getting the birth announcement of Jesus she's going to find out what's going to happen to her and, and what's going to happen through her and as we consider this as we remember uh, this gift we remember that the greatest gift of all is God's saving grace. As we think about this great gift, we remember that the greatest gift of all time is God's saving grace. Now last week we looked at the birth announcement of Salvation's Herald, John the Baptist. And uh, Zacharias was there in the temple and, and he heard the announcement from Gabriel, the angel Gabriel, who came to him and gave him the announcement of the the coming of John the Baptist, who would be the very herald of salvation. He would go before Jesus and prepare the way. But today we look at God's birth announcement of his Savior, Jesus Christ. And in this birth announcement, we're going to learn three lessons about God's saving grace. Three lessons about God's saving grace. So uh, we're going to look at this this morning, and we're going to just work through the text instead of me reading it like I typically do. Uh, we're going to work through the text, and as we work through the text, we're going to learn these lessons. So, Before we get into reading our text and, and studying our text, let me pray for us, and then we'll get started. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your holy, inspired, and inerrant word. We thank you for this message today, the, the birth announcement of Jesus, the story of how All of this took place in real history, in real time. Lord, you sent your angel to to Mary to announce the coming of your salvation through Jesus Christ. So, Lord, today we pray that you would open our eyes and our ears to 
see and hear uh, the message that you have for us in this text. And Lord, give us hearts willing to obey what we learn from this text. So Lord, teach us today, I pray. In Christ's name I pray, amen. Well, as we begin to look at the birth announcement of Jesus, first of all, our story begins with young Mary. Young Mary, who's just, uh, just going about her daily life. Right? She's just going about her daily life. She's doing her normal thing, whatever that was. It doesn't give us any kind of indication of what she was doing. Maybe she was working in the house. Maybe she was helping mom prepare a meal. Uh, maybe she was out in the field working and, and gathering in some grain to bring in for uh, the night's preparation. Now, we don't know what it was, but certainly she was a, a good Jewish girl, and so she was up and about. She was working. She was participating in the, the affairs of the household, and she was going about her daily life. And this is just an ordinary girl, not a very special girl, just an ordinary girl in an ordinary place and an ordinary time. And she gets this visitation from a wonderful being, an angel of the very Lord. Let's begin to look at our text there. In the sixth month, that is the sixth month of of Elizabeth's pregnancy. So Elizabeth has been pregnant now for six months. So it's been at least six, seven months since uh, Zechariah got this visitation from Gabriel. And now here comes Gabriel, and Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. A city of Galilee named Nazareth. Now, last week we saw the birth announcement of, of John the Baptist, and, and it took place with Zechariah who is a priest of the Lord, right? He, he is of the uh, Aaronic, uh, Aaronic uh, line there, the Aaronic tribe. He's of the priestly tribe of Israel. And so he was serving there in Jerusalem, the city of David, right? The city of David within the temple. He was in the temple where, uh, all, where, where people would most likely experience or expect to experience some kind of encounter with God. He was there in the temple, in the city of David, and he was encountered by Gabriel, the angel of the Lord, this mighty man of God, right? This righteous man before the Lord. But now we come to the next phase of the story, and we come to Mary, and she is in a city in Galilee. In Galilee. Now, now think about the, the map of Israel. Galilee was up north. It was in the northern region of Israel. And then in the middle, there was Samaria. Now, Samaria was, uh, that was where people, you know, Jewish people didn't go there. They didn't like Samaritans. Because Samaritans were considered by most Jews of that day to be half-breeds. And, and they had kind of mixed and mingled re, uh, religious the religion of Yahweh, Yahweh worship, with all kinds of other pagan rituals. And so, so most Jewish people didn't like Samaritans. That's why you see as Jesus begins his ministry, uh, you see people, they, they kind of look down upon Samaritans. So that was in the middle of the map. And then down south was Judea with Jerusalem, the city of David. So Judea, you might say, they were the religious center of, of Israel's religious life. They were very traditional in how they lived their life. They were traditionalist, if you will. 
And, and so they had it going. They were Jewish, the, the Jews of the Jews, right? They were very Jewish down there in Judea. Galilee, yeah, they were Jews, but up there, you know, they were more progressive, right? They, they had a lot of influence from the Roman society and all these other Roman colonies around them. They kind of, that kind of influenced the Galileans. And so they were Jews and, and they were considered Jews, but, you know, the people down in Judea, they kind of, kind of looked down their nose at people from Galilee because they weren't Jewish of Jewish, right? They weren't Jews of the Jews. They, they had, had kind of progressed and kind of let other things into their culture. They appreciated the Hellenistic culture around them. But now here we see this angel of the Lord going to Galilee. So when Luke's readers first read this, that Gabriel is going to Galilee, they're thinking, whoa, what? Galilee? I can get Judea, right? I can get Jerusalem, but Galilee? But then he goes on. He's going to the city of Nineveh. Nineveh. Now, for Luke to call Nineveh a city was kind of being, uh, you know, it was, it's kind of giving Nineveh a boost, right? He was being generous with that. Because Nineveh was not really a city, what we might think of a city. It was more of a little village, right? Over here, we, we have Maruj just east of us. And, and Maruj would be a metropolis compared to Nineveh. Nineveh, we might think of, I don't know, Benita, maybe even Jones. I mean, it was a very, very small town. And it wasn't that well thought of. I mean, you think about it over in John's gospel, old Nathaniel, he said... Uh, when, when they came and told him, hey, we found the Messiah. It's Jesus of Nazareth. What did Nathaniel say? Has anything good ever came from Nazareth? Right? And, and so it wasn't a very well thought of. This was just an ordinary little town, not very well thought of about people. And yet here is where the angel of Gabriel is coming to. He is coming to Nazareth of Galilee and then we come to Mary who is Mary Mary is a little girl right she's she's probably a, a, just a young woman about the age of 14 barely I mean she's just not old enough to be betrothed and married off y'all are listening for that buzzing noise I see it in your eyes you're like, what is that buzzing and you're irritated by it Mike is working on it <laughs> It's a battery in one of those uh, things up there, and, and it, apparently the battery decided to go out. Well, that's going to come be important here in just a moment, so I want to bring that out. So she was a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. Now, that, this means that there was nothing spectacular about Joseph either. Uh, he is of the house of David, right? He is in the, the lineage of David. He is heir to the divinic throne, but... Guess what? There's no divinic throne to be had. And, and so he is nobody. He, he's just a simple carpenter. There's, there's no inheritance. There's nothing there. He is a simple carpenter who just happens to be in the heritage and the line of, of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her, Gabriel came to her and said, and this is wonderful, Greetings, O favored one. 
the Lord is with you. Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. Now let's take a moment to look at this little phrase here. Greeting, O favored one, the Lord is with you. Now, this verse here is where the, the Catholic Church, the Catholics, they, you've ever heard Catholics say, Hail, Mother Mary, full of grace? This is the verse from which they get that prayer. Because in the Latin Vulgate, Jerome, who translated from the Greek text to the Latin, Jerome translated this, Hail, full of grace. The Lord is with you. That, that's his translation in English, but that's his Latin Vulgate translation. And so that's the, the, the version, the, the translation that the Catholic Church pro predominantly uses. And so Jerome there, he, he kind of gets part of the essence here, full of grace. But uh, the whole the Catholic Church, they, they took that verse, that little saying there, and they developed this whole theology about Mary from that. Hail, full of grace, full of grace one, right? Hail, full of grace. They, they come to take that verse and, and understand it to mean that Mary was inherently full of grace, right? She was inherently full of grace. She had all the grace. It wasn't a given grace. She had the grace. She was full of grace. And so uh, she was in sinless perfection, Right? She was born and lived her life in sinless perfection. That's why she was full of grace. And so that's why they pray, Hail Mary, full of grace. They pray to her because, hey, she's got plenty of grace uh, to hand out, to give to others. And so they pray to her and ask her for more grace. But the problem is, that's not what the text says. That's not what the text says. Notice what it says here. We see our English version, greetings, or hail, whatever. It's a, it's a greeting there. Greetings, O favored one. Or you could say, O graced one. That favored there is the word. It's a perfect passive participle, and the Greek word means grace. It means graced one. But it is a perfect passive participle now that's important for us to understand because that tells us a little bit about what's going on here with mary uh, this is a, a perfect which means it, it is complete right it's complete grace this is completed grace it, it's something this grace that she's getting it, it's something that took place in the past and, and is completely full and so in that sense, Jerome kind of got it right. She was full of grace. It was something that happened that was complete. She has full grace. But that passive means that that grace isn't something that was inherent in her. That grace was something that happened to her. Right? She has been graced. She was graced. She didn't have grace. She was given grace. So when the angel Gabriel says, Greetings, O favored one, he's saying, Greetings, O graced one. 
You have been given grace. You have received grace. This isn't something that you have in you. It's something that is given to you from outside of yourself. And notice what, how Mary responds to this. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. Why was she greatly troubled by this? Why was Mary greatly troubled when the angel Gabriel came to her and said, Greetings, O graced one. Because Mary knew she was a sinner. She was troubled because she knew she was a sinner. I mean, we know from past experience reading the Bible that when angels come, when they appear to people, people know that they're angels, right? They know Zechariah knew that this was an, a messenger from the Lord. There was something about his being, something about his presence that just radiated this holiness. And he knew that he was in the presence of a holy being. He knew he was in the presence of a messenger of, of the Lord. In the Old Testament, throughout when angels came to, to visit people, Daniel, for example, when he had the, uh, an angel of the Lord come to him, he knew this is a messenger of the Lord. There's something about their being that just radiated this holiness. And so Mary knew that Gabriel was a messenger of the Lord. She knew he was an angel. And when he said, greetings oh graced one she thought wait a minute don't you know what i thought last night about joseph don't you know what i said to mama this morning when she told me to get up and get to work she's troubled because she knows her own sin she knows her own unrighteousness her own failure in life. And that is a, a key quality of, of any person, a human being who is righteous before the Lord. They know the depths of their sin. A righteous person knows the depths of his or her own sin. They know they don't deserve God's grace. And that's why Mary's troubled. She's troubled. I think about Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 6, verse 5, when Isaiah was given a vision of the temple room of God. He said, woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. I can imagine Mary thinking that same thing, woe is me, for I am lost. I am a woman of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a, of a people of unclean lips. I'm not worthy of grace. What I deserve is not grace. What I deserve is judgment. She knows her sin, and she knows that her sin doesn't deserve grace. It deserves God's wrath and his judgment. Let me tell you, people. What Mary needs most of all in this situation, and she knows that she knows she needs God's grace. And let me tell you, your greatest problem is sin. You have sinned against a holy and righteous God. You deserve God's wrath. 
You deserve God's judgment for your rebellion against a holy God. Yet, what you need, what you need, your greatest need, is God's saving grace. Your greatest need, today and forever, is God's saving grace. Each and every one of us, we have a sin problem. I don't care who you are. I don't care how, how long you've been in the church. I don't care what you've done. You have a sin problem. And your greatest need is God's saving grace. Well, here's the good news for us. God's grace is freely given. You don't deserve it. You can't earn it. But God's grace is freely given. It's freely given. Look, look what it says there as we go on there. The angel Gabriel says in first, uh, verse 30, And the angel said to her, said to Mary, Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor. You have found grace. That word again, grace. You have found grace with God. You have found grace with God. Mary found grace. This was not something that she earned. It wasn't something that she, she uh, deserved. But, but God freely gave her his grace. Go back there to verse 28. Greetings, O graced one. That perfect passive participle. It was something that... That, that happened, she was graced in the past. When was she graced? In eternity past. When God decided he was going to create mankind. When God knew man was going to fall away from him and God decided, God covenanted with himself, the three persons of the, the Trinity, they coveted with one another in a covenant of redemption, and, and they determined in eternity past to save a people for themselves, and they laid out the whole plan, and in eternity past, they had grace upon Mary. God set his grace upon her. God's grace is freely given. It was freely given to Mary, and it's freely given to you. God's grace is freely given and then look how God's grace is given. God's grace is given through a son. God's grace is given through a son. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. God's grace is given through a son. And, and as he goes on here, we see four characteristics of this son who is given. And boy, are these some wonderful characteristics. Let's look at those. Number one, and you shall call his name Jesus, 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 the, the, the name Jesus, and this was very common in first century, uh, Jews often would, would name their children with names that meant something, and so the angel Gabriel saying, you're going to name this child Jesus, the name Jesus means deliverer our savior that's why in matthew matthew 1 matthew clarifies this he qualifies that name you will name him jesus for he will save his people from their sins this son who is given is savior 
He is your Savior. He is my Savior. He is the Savior of God's people. As we move on there, that's the first quality. Jesus is Savior. The Son is a Savior. Notice what 32 says. 32, he will be great. He will be great. Now, this contrast, back with Luke 1, uh, where do I have it here? I've got it written down somewhere. But, but Luke 1, 15, 1, 15, uh, it, Luke 1, 15 talks about John the Baptist. And John the Baptist says, and you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at John's birth, at his birth. For he will be great before the Lord. Notice John gets a qualifier, right? John will be great before the Lord. But with Jesus, he's just great. There's no qualifier. Now, why is that? Well, you know what? Uh, you are probably great in your mama's eyes, right? You not, might not be great in anybody else's eyes, but you're probably great in your mama's eyes. I, mean, I was listening the other day to the, the radio, Legends of Country, and uh, uh, Merle Haggard came on. He's singing the, the, the good old boys, right? The Dukes of Hazard song. And I've never noticed this before. I guess I, I just, I've listened to that song growing up, and uh, you, you always get the first half because that's the theme song for the Dukes of Hazard. So that's usually when I heard it. But the very last line of that song, it kind of made me chuckle. Very last line of the song, I'm a good old boy. You know, my mama loves me, but she don't understand why they show my hand and not my face on TV. (laughs) Probably looks good in his mama's eyes, but maybe not everybody else's eyes, right? Your mama loves you, and you're great in your mama's eyes, but, but you may not be great in everybody's eyes. And that's the way it was with John the Baptist. He will be great in the eyes of the Lord. But Jesus is just great. <laughs> Jesus needs no qualifier. Because let me tell you, it doesn't matter what you think about Jesus. It doesn't matter what I think about Jesus. It doesn't matter what the president thinks about Jesus. It doesn't matter what the Supreme Court thinks about Jesus. It don't matter. Because Jesus is great. He is the Son of God. And he don't need your opinion to make him great. He doesn't need anybody to think he's great. He is by his very nature great, period. And one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is great. Because Jesus is Lord. Jesus is great. He is great. He is great and will be called the Son of the Most High God. The Son of the Most High. That is the Most High God, right? He is the Son of the Most High. He is the very Son of God. He is the Son of God. And we're going to see this as we we work on through there. He, He was born by God, right? Born by the Spirit. He is the very Son of God. He is the eternal Son of God. He was in the beginning In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and all things were created through Him. He is Son of the Most High. He is the very Son of God. He is God incarnate. God who came in human flesh. He is the Son of God. And here's the number fourth, the fourth quality or the fourth characteristic of this this grace of God. 
He is great, and he, he will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Now, Jesus is the son of Joseph through adoption, of course. He is heir to the throne. He is heir to the throne of David. And God says, I'm going to give him that throne. I'm going to give him that throne. And I'm going to establish his throne as an eternal throne, as an eternal kingdom. This is in fulfillment of 2 Samuel chapter 7. 2 Samuel chapter 7. We're going to read verses 12 through 16. This is the divinic covenant. This is when, when David said, I'm going to build a house for the Lord. And the Lord came to him and said, no, you're not going to build me a house. Your son's going to build me a house. And this was the covenant that the Lord made with David. Verse 12 of 2 Samuel chapter 7. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring, your seed after you who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever, and I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. You see, this is the fulfillment of God's promise to David. This is the seed of David, the offspring of David. God told David, I will establish your seed after you. I will establish a son after you. I'll bring up a son after you. And I will make him a king. And I will give him a kingdom. And his, of his kingdom, there will be no end. It will be an eternal kingdom. Now, that wasn't Solomon because his, his reign ended. That wasn't any of the kings that we read about in and uh, the kings, first and second kings, and first and second chronicles. It's not any of those kings, because all of those kings, their kingdom ended. But now here, in the first few chapters of the New Testament, we see God's fulfillment coming to being, coming to fulfillment. I'm going to give him David's throne. And now of his kingdom, there will be no end. He is savior he is great he is son of god he is son of david god's messiah who is to come dear friend god's saving grace is extended to you through his promised savior jesus christ I want you to know that today, God's saving grace it is, is extended to you, it is extended to me through His promised Savior, Jesus Christ. God's grace comes through His Son, Jesus Christ. And the only way to obtain God's grace is through Jesus Christ, God's salvation, God's saving grace is extended to you through his promised Savior, Jesus Christ. So the question you might have this morning is how to obtain God's grace through Jesus. If you don't deserve it and you can't earn it, how do you obtain it? Well, Mary shows us very well what to do here, what little doing there is. Notice, first of all, Mary's question and Mary said to the angel, how will this 
be since i am a virgin now again we contrast and and luke puts these two stories together so that we do make these contrasts you think about zachariah when zachariah was when gabriel came to zachariah and zachariah said how shall i know this I'm old, my wife is old, we're, we're done. We can't have kids. How am I to know this? And, and Zechariah, like we said last week, Zechariah, he should have known it. Right? He was a priest of God. He knew the Old Testament. He had memorized the first five books of the Bible. So he had memorized the story of Abraham and Sarah. He knew that Abraham was 100 years old when he had Isaac. Sarah was in her 90s when they had Isaac. He knew that God could do this. How shall I know? You should know, Zechariah. God's shown it already. He's already done this. This is nothing new for God. But now notice what Mary says. How will this be? How will this be? There's a question there because, I mean, obviously, she's a virgin, right? How can this, how will this be? How will this be? If God says it, I mean, this is a question coming from faith. She is demonstrating her faith even in this question. How will this be? If God said it, it's going to happen. I believe that, right? I believe God. I trust God. And so if he says this can happen, it can happen. But how will it be? How will it be? Because nothing like this has ever been done before. How will God accomplish this? She's asking out of faith, how will this take place? And what does the angel Gabriel say? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Now let, let's just think about that for a moment. Go back to the Old Testament, Genesis chapter 1 and 2. What do we see taking place here? It's not like in mythology where you had Zeus coming down and having a se sexual relations with a woman and, and producing someone like Hercules, right? That was, that was prevalent throughout mythology, but that's not what we see in the Bible. The Holy Spirit will overshadow her. Go back to Genesis chapter 1 and 2. Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and then chapter 2 moves on and says, and the world and the earth was without form and void, and the spirit of god or the power of god hovered over the waters the spirit overshadowed the waters and then as the spirit overshadowed the waters then god began to put things in place he began to create the animals and the trees and and ultimately mankind through the power of the holy spirit and now we see in luke as Mary is, is getting this good news of the salvation that's going to come through her, the Holy Spirit will overshadow her. The Spirit of God will overshadow her. And He will create inside her, not through normal relations, but through divine power, He will create in her a body. A body that will house the Spirit of God the Son. Hebrews says, a body you have prepared for me. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, God created a human body 
in which the Spirit of God in Christ would dwell. And the the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. It's a miraculous thing that's taking place. It's a miraculous thing that's taking place as God is creating this, this human body as a home and a house for His Son to dwell in. And behold, your relative Elizabeth is in, in, in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. Nothing will be impossible with God. How will this be? It will be through God's miraculous power working within you, Mary. Because all things are possible with God. Maybe some of you are saying to yourself today, well, how could God ever save me? How could he ever save me? Do you, you, know, do you know the things that I've done in my life? Do you know who I am? you know what I've gone through? you, you know what offenses I have, have made against God? How could he ever save me? You know, the apostles asked God that same question later on in Luke. They ask him, how can anybody be saved? And Jesus says, what is impossible with man is possible with God. Just like the angel Gabriel told Mary, all things are possible with God. God can save the most vile of people. The vilest of offenders. It doesn't matter what you've done. God's grace can save you god's grace can save you there's nothing impossible with god notice then mary's response to this good news and mary said behold i am the servant of the lord let it be to me according to your word and the angel departed from her Behold, I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me just as you've said. Now this is just a, a, a wonderful expression of surrender. I mean, we really need to understand this. We really need to grasp what what Mary is saying here. Mary is a virgin in a society that looks down upon premarital sex. In a society that looks down upon mothers giving birth out of wedlock. She is a virgin in this kind of culture, in this kind of society. And she knows that that that's not a conversation that she really wants to have with her parents. Yes, mom and dad, I'm pregnant. Well, how did this happen? Well, the Lord, uh, he overshadowed me. Right, Mary. What, you're a virgin and you're having this baby? Right. She understands that what's going to take place in her life will cause her family to disown her. Her family and friends will disown her. 
in this culture, in this society, uh, if a woman was caught being unfaithful, right? If she was caught in sexual immorality, it was not just expected of the husband to divorce her, or it wasn't just, you know, a possibility for her husband to divorce her. It was expected that her husband would divorce her. It was expected like it was a, a moral responsibility in this culture they viewed it as a moral responsibility of the husband to divorce his wife if she was found to be unfaithful that's why later on at Mos- or joseph says well i'm gonna have to divorce her right he finds out she's pregnant and, and he starts pursuing the the line of divorce Thankfully, God intervenes, and, and that doesn't take place. But, but Mary doesn't know all that's going to take place yet, right? She doesn't know it's going to take to happen. All she knows at this point is, is she's going to have a baby. She's never known a man, but now she's going to have a baby. And what's Joseph going to think? What's Joseph going to do? She knew that she was going to be rejected by her family and friends. She knew that it, Joseph would likely ask for a divorce, and she knew that she would be rejected by her society. Yet, what does she say? What does she say? I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Let it be to me according to your word. This is complete faith and surrender to god this is what saving faith looks like this is what saving faith looks like how do you receive god's grace receive god's saving grace by trusting in god's savior and surrendering to god's will that's it Trust in God's Savior. Believe in Jesus Christ. Believe that he was born as God says he was born. He was born through a virgin birth. Here is the eternal Son of God who came down and took on human flesh and was born to the Virgin Mary. He lived and he died for you, for your sins, so that you might be saved in him. Trust in Jesus. Put your faith and your hope in Jesus and surrender your life to him. We have that song, I surrender all, all to Jesus, I surrender all to him, I freely give. How do you obtain God's grace? You receive it by trusting in Jesus. And surrendering your life to him in faithfulness. Trust Jesus today. God's greatest gift of all is his saving grace. The greatest gift that we can ever receive is God's saving grace. It is freely offered. It is freely offered. God is here today and maybe you've never trusted in Jesus. You've never Receive God's gift of grace, and He's drawn you here. And today He says, Here it is. I've given you my Son. I've given you my Son. 
Will you trust in him? Trust in Jesus today. Trust in Christ. Surrender your life to him. And God will save you. If you've already done that, if you've received the gift of God's saving grace in your life, then today is a day of rejoicing. This whole season is a season of rejoicing every day. Rejoice in the Lord always, Paul says. Again, I say rejoice every day. We have a reason to rejoice in the Lord because of his free saving grace. Receive his grace today. Oh, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your salvation in Jesus Christ. Lord, he is your gift of grace. Without Jesus, there would be no hope. Without him, there would be no hope. Had he not come and took on human flesh and lived and died for us, there would be no hope for us. There would only be your wrath. There would only be condemnation. There would only be judgment because of your saving grace. You sent Jesus. And we can know your saving grace through Christ by trusting in him and surrendering our lives to him, to your king. Father, for those of us who have received your grace in Jesus we praise you and we thank you. We rejoice in the glory of your saving grace. But Lord, certainly there's those who are here, who are hearing this message, who've never trusted in Jesus, never surrendered their lives. They're living in sin. Trusting their own way. Oh Lord, let them see your grace. Let them see Jesus. Turn their hearts to trust in you today. This I pray in Christ's name. Amen.